0: reality, the truth that we've just sung in these lyrics in this song. We praise your name forever. Fathers, as we said, as our eyes, our, our gaze is transfixed there on your son Jesus. I pray that it would always stay there. That we would look at his life, we would look at his death, we would look at his resurrection, and we'd recognize that all of history, all of time revolves around your son, Jesus, and his kingdom, your kingdom. And I pray, uh, Father, this morning as we understand just a little sliver of what that kingdom looks like when when it applies to those who are aging, I pray that uh, we would appreciate your love for uh, widows, widowers, uh, your love for orphans. And I pray that this morning that would all come pouring out of your word and, and would really uh, charge us. Uh, again, energize us again uh, to carry out what you've asked us to do. I pray and ask your help in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5. As Ryan indicated earlier, we're going to finish out this section on caring for widows. And um, toward the end... I. I don't know about you, sometimes uh, you read a passage like this and you might be sitting there and thinking, so what? How does this apply to me? Well, we're going to walk through this passage and at the end I'm going to answer that question. So what? How does this apply to me? Okay, so follow along. I want to read from First uh, Timothy chapter 5, beginning of verse 9, down through verse 16. So follow along in the word you have in your hands or follow along uh, on the screen as I read. Paul here writes to Timothy and he says, Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house and not only idlers, but gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their household, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed from Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Interesting portion, right? As you read through that, a lot of questions you should be asking. What is all this? Uh, Incurring condemnation, older widows, younger widows, so on and so forth. Uh, All things that I trust that we'll understand better uh, before we leave today. It's good to be back this morning. Last weekend, I had the privilege of being with my wife's extended family in North Carolina. The weather was beautiful. Uh, We enjoyed our time there uh, with her. And uh, I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I value family reunions. When I was a kid, and really all the way up into probably my 20s and 30s, I just always had this real blah kind of feeling about reunions. Right, I never looked forward to going to reunions. They were so boring, right? All Mom and Dad wanted to do was sit around and talk, 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 and there was nothing for us to do, and We had to go play with these first and second cousins that we didn't even really know we were just supposed to go and and I remember thinking, what is the point? Why have family reunions but the older I get the more mature I think I'm becoming in my understanding of what is the point. And there are many points, but not the least of which is an appreciation that you are part of something bigger than yourself. There's a heritage there. There's a lineage there's there's a tradition and and within that lineage within that heritage there's there's a, a a love there's a a respect there's an admiration for one another and and I get it families don't always get along um, and sometimes disagreements can have lifelong effects but if you look at healthy families uh, godly families thriving families there's this real honor for those who have gone on ahead and those have charted the path if you will and, and your respect for their story uh, comes because you understand that it is your story as well. You're part of that story. That's why we have grandmas and then later we have great grandmas, right? Even in our titles we, we show this respect. But this is a great grandma, right? Um, so we we have all of this reverence and awe and and admiration, and I think it really flows from a right understanding of God and his heart toward the aging. I really believe it starts there, a right understanding of God in particular in god's word, over and over and over, he shows a concern for the aging, specifically widows, to ignore the plight of a widow was a grave offense in the eyes of God. Uh, How many of you remember the story of Job? You remember the story? So if you remember the story of Job, uh, Job was a a righteous man, the Bible says, and yet Satan was given permission to come and attack Job and really try to get Job to turn on God. And so Satan came and he wiped out his family, he wiped out his source of income, he, he attacked his health. And in the middle of the story, Job's three worthless friends show up. We call them worthless because they they came with all the right intents, but they gave him some really bad counsel uh, as they sat and talked with him. They were determined to find out Job's sin because they were of the mindset that bad things happen to bad people. And so, Job, what is this secret sin that you're harboring that has brought about such harsh judgment from God? you know what one of their accusations was? In Job 22 and verse 9, Job's friend, uh, Eliphaz, says, You have sent widows away empty. That's what it is. So offensive was that in the mind of a God follower. uh, That... This worthless counselor, this friend, was trying to think of the worst thing possible that Job could have done to incur such magnificent punishment. You must have sent widows away empty. That was the accusation. Now, we know from the story of Job that that wasn't true. Job hadn't done that. But it illustrates how even bad counselors understood you don't go messing with widows without stirring up the heart of God. Right? They even understood this. And so as we get to our text this morning in 1 Timothy chapter 5, we're going to see that reverence, that respect, that call of God to care for widows all the way from the earliest of the Old Testament carried forward into the New Testament. Paul says this is an equal mandate and imperative for the New Testament church to pick up on this character trait of God and his care for widows. Now if you were with us last time we were in this book uh, if you look in your Bible if you have it open verses 3 to 8 uh the first part of this thing on widows uh Paul laid out a framework uh, for widows and their needs right widows and their needs when when a when a woman becomes a widow there's an evaluation that happens there's really three things that Paul says to look for number 1 is she truly a widow does she truly have no resources? Sometimes uh, when a, a husband passes away, uh, the widow could have been left with some funds. Maybe she is able to work and, and draw an income or maybe she has enough assets that she's, she's well taken care of. Um, but if not, we would say she's, she's truly a widow. She doesn't have the ability to provide for herself financially. That's the first thing. The second thing Paul said in verses 3 to 8 to look for is, if that's the case, does she have any children or grandchildren? Is there anyone around who can care for her? Because if she has children or grandchildren, this woman gave them life. As their act of duty, they need to give back to her a return for giving them life and caring for them all of their days. And then thirdly, Paul says, examine her life. Is she a godly woman? Does she give credible testimony to her walk with Jesus? Does she depend on God? Does she uh, give uh, testimony to a life of prayer, a life of service? Or is she self-indulgent? Is she living in luxury at the expense of other people? And, uh, so you have all three of those criteria. So if she is truly a widow, no resources, she doesn't have children or grandchildren to care for her, and she is a godly woman. Then Paul says, if all three of those are in place, you need to put her on the rolls of the church. The church needs to care for that woman. The the church is called to make sure that she doesn't fall through the cracks. Okay, so that's, that's a widow and her need. Okay, so now when you come to verses 9 through 16 that we're going to look at this morning, Paul really turns his attention away from the widow and her need to a widow and her work. This is really a fascinating uh, kind of uh, portion of Scripture because it calls on widows who are being cared for by the church to offer themselves back in ministry to the church. Okay, I want you to see this. If you glance back down at verse 9, you see there that Paul mentions some enrollment process. You see that there? She's to be enrolled. If you go down to verse 11... He says, refuse to enroll younger widows. There's that enrollment process again. And in verse 12, he says, they have abandoned their former faith. And that word faith there, I think, is an unfortunate translation in the ESV. It it can also be translated as pledge or as promise so the the, the faith comes from a, a faithful commitment to something okay so apparently there's this enrollment process at the church and along with that enrollment comes some pledge or some promise some faith commitment on behalf of that widow okay now, scholars will differ on whether or not Paul is establishing some official order of widows, but we do know that by the fourth century, there is, in fact, an official order of widows. You you were put on a roll and you had special duties inside of the church uh, if you were on that roll. We don't know if that's exactly what Paul had in mind here, but he definitely had some expectation that the widows that are on the rolls of the church, would make some commitment, some pledge, back to the church in exchange for this care. Now, this entire process, quite frankly, has been lost on the modern church. You don't even see this uh, today in, in in the modern church. And I think it's really because of, of two things. Uh, number one, in northern uh, America, in, in wealthy North America where we live in our culture, we sort of have this expectation um, that you should provide for yourself, that you kind of need to take care of yourself and if you didn't have enough common sense to contribute to your retirement savings and to to put something back, well, then you're just going to have to suffer and survive on whatever social security check you get. I, I think in some ways we've, we've sort of lost the the compassion that Paul had in mind here uh, for for widows we don't in our culture value the elderly as we should we often see them as disposable you know get rid of the old bring in the young we want the new we want the we want the flashy and so i think in some ways the hearts of god's people need to be readjusted to show compassion for elderly For the older. I I think that's one reason why we've we've kind of lost this first Timothy five kind of attitude. I think the other reason that we don't see this much in the in the modern church is because I, I think older people nowadays have this feeling that once they've reached a certain age they can just check out just hand everything off to the to the next generation and sort of live a life of self-indulgence with really little or or no thought to any kind of a meaningful ministry and I think that's a shame in many ways it really is you may have heard this this passage uh from John Piper's book uh, titled Don't Waste Your Life he writes a paragraph in there that I I I've quoted often this paragraph is titled An American Tragedy, How Not to Finish Your One Life. And here's what he says. He says, I will tell you what a tragedy is. I will show you how to waste your life. Consider a story from the February 1998 edition of Reader's Digest, which tells about a couple who took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida. Isn't that interesting? Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. Piper says, at first when I read it, I thought it might be a joke. A spoof on the American dream. But it wasn't. Tragically, this was the dream. Come to the end of your life, your one and only precious God-given life, and let the last great work of your life, before you give an account to your Creator, be this, playing softball and collecting shells. He says, Picture them before Christ at the great day of judgment. Look, Lord, see my shells? That is a tragedy. And people today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream. Over against that, he says, I put my protest, don't buy it, don't waste your life. Now, I think that that's kind of what Paul has in mind here when he begins to look at widows and and their work. I think he says, I don't want that for you, widows. I don't want you to come to the end of your life and there's nothing. You have value. You have worth. You have something that you can contribute. And I think Paul probably has in mind what he wrote in later in, in Titus 2 where he says older women are to be reverent in their behavior, not slanderers, slave to much wine. They are to teach what is good. Train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive. You see this attitude Paul says, older women come alongside these younger women, need you. They need you. So maybe that's kind of what Paul had in mind. I I often wonder if maybe Paul had envisioned that uh, these widows would come alongside the elders and and the deacons to assist them in in carrying out their duties. And it certainly would make sense that Paul would want some female presence in some of the duties that elders and deacons have to do. Because a lot of times that female presence brings a a certain um, conducive environment uh, for certain ministries. So Paul, he turns his work, he's very practical. He turns his ideas now to widows and their work. So, so look at this. Let's, let's dive into this. Uh, verse 9, let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age. Now, why 60? Why that magical uh, age? Well, uh, this age uh, in, in the, this Roman culture, 60 was generally recognized to be an old man or woman. I'm sorry if you're over 60 today. The Bible thinks you're old. All right? That was kind of the culture. In Roman culture, in which Paul was writing this, 60 was the recognized age when sexual passion was thought to wane. Okay? Now, uh, we know that Sexual attitudes, medical advances, well, some of that's changed, but you kind of get the point. He, he, he sort of says, at 60, things are slowing down. I don't believe that Paul was drawing this hard line in the sand and saying, I'm sorry, if you're 59 and a half, you can't be on the church roll I don't think that's what he meant. I think he he was just saying, at this age, you're considered to be older. You're considered to be mature. And I think the key idea that Paul is getting at here is they would be very unlikely to remarry. He's going to come back to that whole marriage thing. Unlikely to remarry. So they're 60 years old. Verse 9 says, they have been the wife of one husband. Now, That does not mean that this woman could not have been married more than once in her life, okay? Because later, uh, Paul is going to tell younger widows to remarry. I don't think he would have told a a woman, you need to remarry. And she followed his counsel, and her second husband died, and then she comes back to be on the church rolls, and he says, are you kidding me? If we're not putting you on the church You've been married twice. Well, you told me to. I don't care. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think that's what he had in mind here. It's the same Greek ordering of the words that Paul used for elders and deacons. It's the idea that she was a one-man woman. She was faithful to her husband. Or if she was married twice, she was faithful to her husbands. Okay? Uh, it's, it's this idea of faithfulness. Right? So did she maintain her marriage vow? So Paul says, here comes this widow. Check her age. Find out how old she is. Was she known to be faithful to her husband in a life of fidelity? And does she have a reputation for good works? Look at verse 10 reputation for good works. And he's going to give us five examples. This is not an exhaustive list, but he's going to give us five examples of good works by which we could measure the life and character of this widow. First, did she bring up children? Okay, so it could be her own children that Paul has in mind there. Or he could also be talking about bringing up orphans. Maybe she brought children uh, into her home. If it means her own children, that she she brought up her own children, it kind of begs the question, well, where are they now if, if mom needs help, right? So if he's, if he's referring to she brought up her own children, maybe they're all gone. Maybe they've passed away or maybe they don't have means uh, in their own to, to support her. Uh, we're not sure. Um, It could mean that she cared for orphans. She brought up orphans and and now she's brought them up and and they've gone and and left. And so they're not available to care uh, for this woman any longer. Does this mean if a a woman never had children, that she couldn't be on the church roll? I don't think that's what Paul had in mind. I think he's he's giving the typical, uh, the more common scenario. And he's saying, if she had children, did she bring them up? did she did she do well at her her job of mothering and secondly he says has she shown hospitality to show hospitality doesn't just mean bringing somebody into your home for a meal it can include that but the idea of hospitality actually scripturally speaking is it, did she show generosity kindness hospitality to strangers people to whom she wouldn't have been as accustomed to, if I can brag on my my wife a little bit, one of one of the duties as a pastor that I have is to get to know a number of people in our community in our church, and, and I often get to know them quite intimately, uh, and my wife doesn't always get to know that, but she is very. Open and welcome, uh, when I ask someone to come into her home or I introduce her to someone and I know them really well and, and she's just kind of getting to know them, uh, to show hospitality. Demonstrated hospitality. So honey, you can go on the list one day, alright? You, you've, uh, you've shown that. Thirdly, has she washed the feet of the saints? Now, Paul here is not referring to the liturgy of the Lord's Supper or communion, because if he was referring to that, then this would not serve as a unique qualification at all. Every every Christian woman would have participated in that. Instead, what he's saying is, uh, has this woman, has this widow acted humbly toward people? Maybe she literally washed their feet when they came into her home. Maybe she took that role of a servant and washed their feet. Or maybe it just means other acts of humility. Was she a humble, meek woman? So Paul's asking. Fourthly, has she cared for the afflicted? Has she fed the hungry? Has she cared for the sick? Has she encouraged someone who's maybe going through a a really a time of sorrow? Does she have a heart of concern for people who are, are in desperate places? Or is she just one of these women that says, oh, well, bless her little heart, and then doesn't do anything about it? Paul says, does she care for the afflicted? And then finally, Paul throws in this, kind of a catch-all category, is fifth sort of general category, has she devoted herself to every good work? Is she generous toward other people? Is she gentle? Is she kind? Is is she fair? Is she good when she interacts with, with her world? So if this widow, who is truly a widow, meets these five qualifications, then Paul says, enroll her on the church's payroll. Let the church take care of her. Let, let them come alongside and, and support her. And in return, the widow pledges to the church her time and her energy. And presumably, along with this, she's also pledging not to remarry. We'll, we'll see that here in a minute. But this is a wonderful give and take kind of a scenario right? Uh, The church isn't looking for free labor. They're not trying to sign up widows so they get all this free help. And the widow isn't looking for a free handout. Instead, the two come together in this win-win situation where the church provides resources and care for the widow. And in return, she provides service and ministry to the church. This is wonderful collaboration happening here. What happens if the widow is younger? And by younger, again, I don't think Paul is thinking, well, if you're 59 and 11 months or below, you're younger. I think he's saying as a as a cultural norm, the 60s, kind of the age here, at at this stage in life, when you look at this woman, is she old or is she young? Okay, where where does she fit? That might have been a tough call at times. Um, But if she's younger, what if she's... uh, clearly younger uh, than 60 years old. What what do you do with this widow? Verse 11, he says, refuse to enroll younger widows for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Well, what is this? Is it wrong for a younger widow to want to remarry? Well, of course it's not. In fact, down in verse 14, Paul's going to urge that. He's going to strongly urge that. So what's the deal here in verse 11? Why not enroll this woman? What's the big deal if she decides to remarry? Well, apparently, this widow, when she's coming on to the church, is making a pledge, more or less, of promising not to remarry, but to devote herself fully to Christ's service. I think what Paul's trying to prevent here is he's trying to prevent an emotional response by which a young widow says, Oh no, my husband's gone. I don't have anything and okay, I'll I'll just I'll just quickly enroll in the church's uh role because I, I don't know what to do and, and out of an emotional kind of response she enrolls and, and makes this quick pledge and doesn't maybe give it as much thought as she should and and then later as that emotion fades she begins to reconsider and now she wants to remarry and, and Paul says if they make a rash promise a rash pledge to be enrolled and then later turn on that he's like they're going to incur condemnation they've they've abandoned their former pledge they they've abandoned their good faith commitment to the church and now they're Normal, natural, sexual, companionship desires are kind of overriding that, that dedication to Christ, and maybe it becomes a distraction. And so to prevent that from happening, Paul says, uh, don't, don't, don't enroll younger widows just, just right off the bat. There's another thing that Paul's trying to prevent. Again, he's very practical. Verse 13, he says, besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house and gossips and busybodies saying what they should not? Think about this for a moment. You have a young widow, uh, someone who's capable, someone who's energetic, someone who's still throbbing with life. I mean, someone who has a, a lot of years presumably in front of her. If the church enrolls her as a widow and begins to provide all of her physical needs, she really has no reason to work or or to busy herself productively, and so she 's susceptible doesn 't mean she 's always going to do this, but she 's susceptible to laziness to uselessness to idle behavior and she can figure out really quick i don 't I don't really have to do much church is going to kind of take care of me and, and she just sort of draws that social security check from from the church and goes about her business and Paul doesn't want that. Paul says, as long as you're able and, and you you're you're strong and you're young and you're energetic, then you need to be making some kind of a contribution uh, in in this life, some kind of a return and further, Paul says, if we would enroll this young widow and we would now call on her to be doing ministries in the church, and a lot of these ministries happen in homes right if someone's sick and you'd go to their home if there's a meal uh, you know they passed out food to widows if you are entrusting this young widow uh, to go from home to home to home to do all uh, help with deacons and elders she's going to finish her rounds really quick i mean this is someone who's, who's strong in life and and not only that She's going to be privy to a lot of highly personal intelligence on all of these people that that she's visiting in. And, And Paul says she's at risk for becoming a gossip and a busybody. What's a busybody? Somebody who meddles, somebody who's overly concerned about other people's business. Somebody who asks way too many questions for what they need to know. Somebody who's kind of got their nose stuck where it shouldn't be. That, that's a busybody. Paul says, I don't want any young widow to become a gossip or a busybody. It's interesting to me that in the scriptures, a busybody uh, is connected to magic. And you think, why magic? How do do those two go together? Well, if you think about it like this, people who are into magic are prying into things that are hidden from human knowledge, okay? That's what a busybody does. They're they're kind of prying into things that they're not supposed to know uh, and, and they're finding their way in there. And So what is Paul's counsel to Timothy then when it comes to younger widows? Well, in verse 14, he says, I would have them marry bear children, manage your households, uh, give the adversary no occasion for slander for some have already strayed after Satan. Strongly encourage them to remarry. Now, isn't that interesting? Does that mean the church does not help at all? I mean, does that mean that you would look at a young widow and say, you know what, I'm really sorry. We, We buried your husband today. At the funeral lunch, you need to be looking around and seeing who you can snag. I mean, is that what Paul's suggesting here? I don't think that's, I don't think it's that urgent, okay? I think what he's saying here is, for this young widow, of course you help her. Of course you come around her. But instead of enrolling her permanently on the church's role, encourage her. Consider remarrying. Consider uh, having more children and managing your household. Because if they don't do that, and they end up becoming the gossip and the busybody, they give the adversary an occasion to slander. Who's the adversary? Well, it could be Satan, because he refers to him in, in the very next verse. It could also be anyone who in Timothy's day is following after a false teacher who's just looking for some reason to discredit this church to discredit Paul, Timothy, and to discredit Christ. And so Paul says to avoid giving the adversary any occasion to slander by saying, look at that widow. Yeah, look what she's doing, running around, talking to everybody. What a shame. What a scam. To to prevent that from happening, Paul says, I urge her. I, I strongly consi- ask her to consider remarrying. Because he said, you know what's really sad? Paul says, some have already strayed after Satan and done that very thing by becoming the gossip and the, and the slanderer verse sixteen Paul says, "If any believing woman has relatives who are a widow, let her care for them." Now, I like that because if you look back up at verse eight, Paul says, "If anyone does not provide for his relatives in verse eight, he uses male pronouns. In verse 16, he uses female pronouns. And he says, believing women and believing men, if they have widows in their midst, in their families, they are both called to their ability and their means to care for those widows. I had an aunt who moved in with my widowed grandmother and lived with her for years and years and years, took care of her. It wasn't always easy. But she did that. She followed, she did that with grace. And and I I do believe that um, God has and will richly reward her for her kindness uh, toward her mother. So believing women, believing men, both of them care for their mother. So let's answer the question. So what? How does this apply to me? Okay, especially if you're young. How does this apply to me? Why why do we need to talk about widows? Well, first, let's let's look at the widow, and I would say the widower as well. If you are here today and you are a widow, or you are a widower, please know that God has a deep, abiding concern for you. He has a heart that resonates with care and compassion for your needs, physical, emotional, spiritual. He is your comforter. He is your rock. He is your fortress. He is your provider. He is a friend to you like no other friend can be. And on those nights when you cry yourself to sleep, He sees your tears. He understands. He knows. He desperately cares. Call on Him. Lean on Him. He hears you. He comforts you. He surrounds you. We care for you too. The church cares for you. Because we want to walk this path with you as God calls us to do that. So if you're a widow or widower here this morning, know that. God cares for you. Further... If you're a widow or widower here this morning, you should be asking the question, well, in light of this, what Paul has just said, then how do I continue to serve the church? How do I continue to use my abilities, my means to serve? What does that look like for me? Do I demonstrate the attributes that... That Paul lays out here. Am I the kind of person that washes the feet of the, uh, the feet of the saints, who who opens the door to to strangers, who does good work? How can how can I pledge myself? Maybe not formally, like like it was here, but how do, how do I pledge myself to the service of God? What does that look like for me? We would love to explore that with you. You might be surprised at the number of ways that widows and widowers can contribute to the church. And I would add, specifically into the lives of those who are younger. They desperately want it, whether you know it or not. Second, maybe you're here this morning and you're not a widow. You're not a widower, but you have some in your family. Well, now you know your duty. Now you know what you're called to do, right? Now you know you're to look after that widow or that widower. How can you provide so that the church can minister to those who are truly widows, who have have no one else? So if you're a child, grandchild, niece, nephew, so on and so forth, how can you help widows and widowers uh, in your family? And then thirdly, maybe you're not in any of those categories. You're not a widow. You're not a widower. You don't have widows or widowers in your family. Here's kind of the catch-all, right? If you are part of Bethel, you are called to serve regardless, right? You are called to serve. Your Jesus did not live for you, die for you, rise again for you, so that you could live a life of luxury and ease with no concern for other people. That is not why he did all those things for you. Jesus came and did all of these things for you, rose again, he forgave you, he welcomed you into his family so that you can learn how to practice self-denial, how you can lay aside your desires and serve others. So if you're part of Bethel this morning, you have just as much obligation and duty to participate in this care for widows. If you're not sure how to do that, Come talk to me. Come talk to Pastor Ryan. Please talk to Pastor Jason. We're working on some specific ways that we're ministering to widows, uh, to those in need. Uh, it's just kind of, we're not ready to roll it out yet, but we're kind of getting it off the ground. Come talk to us. Uh, we would love to tell you more about that. All right? So, so what? Well, so what? It, it applies to all of us. We're all in this together. We're a family together, Right? Our dear sister Clara, who passed away, uh, we we care for people like that. Her children are doing a phenomenal job of, of caring for her. That's what we do as a family of God. That's what we do as a body of Christ. And we do it because God, our Father, has shown a deep, deep love for us. He's shown a compassion for us. Therefore, we show that same compassion for others. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing that song together, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. I know you know this song. And I want you to think about how deep and magnificent the Father's love is for us. Don't let it stop there. Rejoice in that. Of course, we're thrilled for it, But don't let it stop there. Take that love now. Show it to others, specifically uh, to widows and widowers. All right? you want to stand with me? Stand with me and let's pray together and then we'll sing that song together uh, as an act of worship and really calling, pledging ourselves uh, to experience and pass that love to others. All right? Let's pray. Father God, it's clear throughout the word you have a care for those who have difficulty caring for themselves. For orphans, we've talked about that in the past, and now for widows, also for sojourners uh, throughout the Bible. uh, Your heart is moved deeply uh, by those and for those for whom they cannot care for themselves. And if that's what moves your heart, God, shame on us if it doesn't move ours too. Father, I don't want to get to the end of life and, and stand before you and show you my shells. Father, I want to stand before you and say, "I, I gave my life for you. God, I don't think that's out of arrogance or pride. I think it's out of an attitude of, I simply want to serve. If that's what you've done for us, how can I do that for others? Father, your deep, deep love for us demonstrated most poignantly, in, in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Points us to a life that's very different from what our world calls us to. Very different. Your kingdom is a, a kingdom of laying down ourselves, as we sang earlier, taking up our cross, following after you. Help us to live that well. Help us to find that it's in giving up our own life that we find the most joyful life there can be help us to care well for widows and and widowers in our families and in our church we love you and we love them in jesus name amen